Blog Talk Radio. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts, Jay and Dre. on the air. It is Saturday, October the 13th, 9 p.m. Central Time. We're on air. We're on time. Looks like my co-partner here, Dre, has just gotten into the show. And we're going to get this thing started in much less detail. The podcast, getting all the week six NFL picks. But first, as we always do, we are going to recap what was not a very successful night for us on Thursday night, Dre. Are you there? Am I, am I on? You are on. Hey, I, I made it. You, you did make it. Yeah, I checked you into the show and you're ready to go. And we are going to talk briefly, hopefully very briefly, about that debacle on Thursday night. What What were we thinking? I don't know. I don't. I don't know what we could have been thinking. I, what is Eli Manning thinking? That's what I want to know. Why is he in comeback mode throwing check downs on third and 20 and whatnot? What, what is, why is he scared to death to let the ball go and try to let his playmakers make plays? It doesn't matter if you turn the ball over, if you're already down several possessions because the game's over anyway. So what difference does it make whether you throw it deeper or check it down to the running back with no hopes of making a big play? Like what, what's going through his head right now? Yeah. You know, second play of the game, he throws a pick. Got a little, got a little background music here for us both thinking that the uh, that the Giants were going to be ready after showing up so good against the Carolina Panthers, only to go down and defeat to that 63-yard field goal. And you know the Eagles, oh, they didn't look that good. And and, and and this is a short week, and it's a Thursday night. And what we failed to recognize was it was a complete trap all along. We should have stuck to what we knew about both of those teams. The Eagles are the class of that division, and the Giants are trash. The Giants seem to be trash, but they played so much better in that game to, to put themselves in position yep. to possibly win. They, they look like a different offense. It looked like, I know it didn't, I assume it didn't happen this way, but it sure looked like Odell Beckham got on national television and aired out the organization and made them all look like pussies and just pulled all their punk cards, and they responded by having their best game of the year and, and actually going balls to the wall, playmaking, play calling, uh the offense looked completely different. And then here it is three days later, right back to the same bullshit, check down, sleepy time, nap time, no chance at all of coming back when you're playing like that. That game was, was over. It was so over uh, because Eli Manning had no balls and, and no idea how to try to lead a comeback. And it's so frustrating because you know he knows how. And he's, he's going to be we, – we don't agree with it. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be a, an NFL oh, Hall of Fame that. quarterback. I am going down with this ship. He <laughs> is not a Hall of Fame. I can see the argument that he's not worthy of, of the Hall of Fame. He's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback someday. 
and he doesn't play like it. So many times, so often, he doesn't play like it, and this was yet another one of those times. Yeah, yeah Eli Manning has a – we have a career message for Eli Manning. Now I'm done. A lot of people are, are joining that ship or jumping on that ship. I've, yeah. I've seen a lot of places now that think Eli Manning needs to be pretty much put out to pasture. Yeah, you're starting to see – we never thought we'd hear this, but you're starting to see some Ben McAdoo apologists who are like, well, wait, you know, maybe he was on to something. Well, one of them is Geno Smith, which shouldn't count, but yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. Well, no, last year, see, the only the only apologist was, was Starchild. Last year was the only apologist telling us about how Geno Smith was going to, you know, he was just going to be the truth, and, and it was going to be amazing. Uh, we knew better. I did make the prediction that Eli Manning would be the quarterback back under center, which was a little, which was, was a little controversial at the time when I made that right after the benching, like, Oh, he can't come back. And I was like, well, they don't have anybody left. What are they, what, you know, they had a chance to draft a quarterback. They passed up on that. So it, this is, they're They're going to go down. We talk about going down with a ship. Giants are going down with Eli Manning, captain of the Titanic right here. Straight down is, to the bottom of the ocean. He is locked in the stateroom. He's locked himself in the wheelhouse, and he is just holding that wheel, and that thing's going to ram straight into the bottom of the ocean. The Giants are... One team on Thursday night uh, made all of the non-Saquon plays on the field, and that would be the Eagles. Yeah. And yeah. Everything the Giants did was basically, if Saquon Barkley didn't make it happen, they, they had nothing. And that's why the right. game was over once it got to 21-6. And I mean, there were plays where there was a ball where Carson Wentz um, got hit on the arm and the ball kind of wobbled out of there. And there's like three oh, yeah. giant defenders just standing there. <laughs> and then, the, yeah. you know, was it, was it Alshon Jeffrey just, or was either Algalore or Jeffrey just comes running up, like clearly wanted the ball more than the Giants wanted the ball. Yeah, it was, it was, it was all about want to. It really was. Yeah. And yeah. ends up turning this, basically like tip drill kind of lame duck pass into a deep downfield play because after he caught it in front of three giant defenders just standing there picking their ass, he then <laughs> turned up field and ran for like another 20, 30 yards. Just, just full of quit. Hashtag full of quit. That's the New York Giants. What were we thinking? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, that was Aguilar that uh, ball just yeah, flew to him. It, it just shows you on. the sort of, you know, the week-to-week action reaction, everything that goes into, you know, the games, the picks. You know, you think you see a glimmer of hope from a team, and you've got all the things lining up, and everything sort of lined up towards the Giants here. But we seem to forget that they were also playing the defending world champions, who looked more the part than they had in the previous, you know, five weeks. No, give credit to Philadelphia. They stood up. They knew they had an inferior division opponent in front of them, and they knew oh, they had to go take care of business. They and them. they whooped them. They sure did. So all credit to the Eagles for doing that, for doing what they were supposed to do, which is uh, play like world champions. And the, the Giants played like the complete opposite of that. Yeah. Well, well, we're both losers there. So we're, we're, we're 0-1, you know, we're staring up at the week 0-1 already. We didn't uh, we didn't talk about highlight games at all since you had to call into the show. How's your so your internet is down down there? It, 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 it's going back and forth. It's up uh, now. It's not trustworthy, I'm... and we don't want to. Yeah, yeah. We we, I, we didn't want to be mid show, and then just have you just completely disappear. 
Well, that may happen anyway, but if it oh. does, I have the phone here ready to call <laughs> right. in. Yeah, don't, you may want to call in anyways, like with five minutes left to go on the show. <laughs> just just have put your phone on mute. Yeah, and just have yeah. your phone standing by just in case uh, you end up getting you know disconnected while we're in the after show. You can just kind of pick up the phone and go straight into it. But <laughs> everything, everything seems okay here on my end, so it seems like we have a pretty strong connection here tonight. So I think I think we'll be all right. We didn't get a chance to really talk about um, highlight games. I mean, there's the one obvious one. There's the the no brainer um, Sunday night game, Kansas City and New England. I, I guess should we take this moment real quick to pat ourselves on the back for predicting the future? Uh, in what way would that be? Uh, about the flex game. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 49ers are starting to get flexed out of uh, <laughs> as many spots as possible. Uh, the, the NFL may open up the rules and declare that you can now flex Monday night games and Sunday night, uh, in addition to Sunday night games, uh, because they want to get those 49ers out of as many spots as they can. Uh, what, what, what Boy, is that howdy. Is that week seven that they have a a, a Sunday nighter that's already yeah. been flexed out? The week first, seven. the early, the earliest flex out ever in history. And you know, and obviously we had zero to do with this decision, but we predicted it. Oh, we saw that coming a mile away. Because we we were, I believe, the conversation for us basically went like, "Is it too early to start flexing these <laughs> games out?" <laughs> I mean, we're the staring NFL. a stinker already on Monday night with right. uh, the, the 49ers having to play um, at Lambeau. And then we're, they were going to be just rolling right back again. This was going to be all Jimmy G all season long. And, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. So, yeah, so, I wanted to get that out of the way also, especially in the live portion of the show, so everybody can go back and listen to our last show because no joke, you te- you Twittered me or texted me like the next day or the two days after after our show, after we had a, a, a fairly meaningful conversation about the flexing of games, and there it was, there it was. Apparently, the NFL was having the exact same conversation at the same time that we were. So it's good to know well, that we, we're on the like same page. We'd like to think that we're influencing opinions, you know. The least listened to influencers in the history of podcasting. <laughs> That's right. Who are strangely right about these things so many times. So if you're a loyal listener, you may not have too many other people listening with you, but look, you're in a special club. You're listening to some guys that may not have any inside information, but we kind of know what's going on. We've been around the block a time or two. So That's when right. you say things are coming down the pike, you better believe it, buddy. Huh. So not a not a lot of uh not a lot of great games on the schedule this week. I don't know how you wanted to, to how you wanted to approach this one. There's some interesting games on the schedule this week. We have uh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Bears, Dolphins, um, Rams, Broncos, and we have the one obvious one with Casey in New England. Uh, I know in the write-up for the show, you also mentioned the sneaky Clippers-Browns matchup. So I guess I'll let you decide where we start. You know, uh the, the Clippers and the Browns are, uh, yeah, very sneaky. And I never in a million years thought that at this stage of the season, it would be something that would be uh, interesting to anybody, but there it is. Um, 
the Bears and Dolphins are another game that shouldn't be interesting to anyone, but they both have winning records, yeah. so that puts them possibly in position to be discussed. But frankly, I don't want to discuss that very no. much. No, Bears Dolphins to me is not uh, like breakdown material here. We we I, I still need to see. You know, and especially with the Bears with those home road splits, I need to see a little bit more from this team before I start throwing them into, you know, highlight territory, regular highlight territory. I would say to start with the Steelers and Bengals because the Bengals might be in position to put this uh, put the Steelers down and, and sort of they put could. them in a really bad spot if they if they pick up this win. And what's the over-under on how many guys go out on stretchers in this game? Oh, about 15. Or how many singing awards are handed out? How many Grammys are being awarded for Best yep. Actor? Uh, <laughs> very well may happen. Maybe a lot of guys uh, pretending to be concussed who actually are concussed. Yeah, they don't need to pretend. <laughs> Uh, so I guess I can give the plugs real quick before we get started. Uh, you're listening, of course, live to blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail to listen to the show as a podcast. You'll get this live show and some sort of after show if we can stay connected after this one hour live portion is over. A lot of ways to listen to that podcasting apps such as TuneIn and Mixcloud and Player.fm and Blueberry and many, many others. Uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Search for In Much Less Detail, the podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and we should be on there. And if we're not, that app sucks and you want to get rid of it. You can communicate with the show via email. You can send that to InMuchLessDetail at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at IMLDDre. Jason is on Twitter at IMLDJTG. And our picks will be up on the blog sometime later after the show is over. The website for the blog is InMuchLessDetail.blogspot.com. And with that, it's time to get on to week six, where it's really going to be crawling in the dark because we don't know what our highlight games are going to be outside of the Sunday nighter. And you know, even even when I'm running, even when I'm oh, you're, are you on the board too? I have internet connection at the moment. Yes. For, okay. For this I was gonna say, even when I'm running the board or I'm in the studio, there's no way I would ever do the plugs for this show because that's like you've got <laughs> that down. I don't even know if you look at anything. I think you have it all memorized. You're like Stony doing the. Uh, you know, this copyrighted telegram, you know, tele- yeah, you're like, you're basically giving us your version of that, like every show. So there's no way I'd ever take that away from you. And with that, I think we've lost Dre. I really didn't like disconnect him from the show. I was actually, I, I was very complimentary there of the fact that he does uh, all of our announcements very well every show. And I just believe he went into complete nothingness. So we're getting ready here to, as soon as he reconnects, we're going to get ready to talk about Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, which we know is going to basically be some type of a brawl. Uh, the, the last, the last times these teams between that playoff game in the AJ McCarron game with all with all the illegal hits and and the Bengals doing everything they could to win that game and then giving the Steelers I believe 45 yards in unnecessary roughness penalties uh, all the way down the field to kick the game winning field goal the game that just made you sick to watch football so from that to the game last year where we have Ryan Shazier 
basically gives himself a spine buster. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster concusses Vontez Perfect and knocks him out. Uh, another Cincinnati defender tried to decapitate Antonio Brown in the end zone. They really don't like Antonio Brown. They're just straight up trying to stonehold murder that guy. So we, we, we know it's going to be a hard-hitting game. And right now, we have no connection at all from Dre. So we're going to hope that he calls in here soon. Let him work on that and get back into the show. I uh, watched a little bit. But we'll talk about it a little bit in the after show. I'll have a few thoughts here in the after show about the uh, first couple of games of the uh, National League Championship Series in baseball, since that's something that's happening fairly locally here in the state of Wisconsin. And it looks like it looks like looks like you made it back. I'm hoping. I'm calling in now. I'm on the phone line. The, the internet I, it sounds like you're works. on the phone. It's, yeah, it's, I know. Yeah, I was just giving you all the compliments about doing the plugs, and then you were just gone. Just dropped right in the middle. All right. Now so, the internet connection was, has been going in and out, so it's out again. Yeah. You guys didn't even get hit by the hurricane or nothing like that. No, we got we got a bunch of rain, but I don't know yeah. why that's fucking with our internet, but it is. Well, you're back, and we're ready, and we're going to talk about Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Sounds good. Steelers are two, two, and one, and in that desperate mode, you don't want to start treading water and just playing at uh, at a five hundred level too deep into the season. Because all of a sudden you look up and there's several teams right around you, and if any of them get hot, then all of a sudden you're out of a playoff spot. So we'll see how desperate they play, and this is the right team to play desperate against because it's their blood rivals. It's the Bengals. And the Steelers, so there's certain to be blood on the field at some point during this game. And Vontez Burfick back from suspension just in time uh, for this game. He got reinstated last week. Uh, but the Steelers, 2-2-1. Two, two and one. The Bengals at 4-1, and 2-0 at home. Uh, although they have a bunch of injury issues, uh, the wide receiver John Ross, uh, they thought he was going to return for him, but it looks like he may not. And I personally think that's a big deal because I think when he's there, it opens up room for A.J. Green greatly. Uh, Giovanni Bernard will not play. Tyler Croft is out. They're very short at tight end after the Tyler Eifert injury. Uh, but the Steelers uh, still getting a little bit of the respect because they're still the Steelers. So despite the Bengals being at 4-1, they're not the uh, mail-it-in three-point favorite at home. They're only a one-and-a-half point favorite. So Steelers plus one-and-a-half at Bengals. Jason, who you got? Yeah, I was given a little bit of the breakdown of this sort of the animosity between these teams and the, the, the sick feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you watch these two teams play with all the cheap shots. Uh, you know, we had, uh, I referenced the self-induced spine buster that Ryan Shazier gave himself the last time uh, we saw these teams meet up. I mean, just lots of just, just bad things happen when these two teams meet up and play. But... This has got that little brother, big brother kind of sunning mentality uh, for me here. I think it's, again, we talked about this with the Patriots and the Dolphins. I'm going to do the same thing exactly with the Steelers and the Bengals. I'm taking the Steelers. They've owned this rivalry over the last several years, six in a row. The Steelers have beaten the Bengals. And nothing seems to bring out, like, the, the worst in these two teams than playing each other. 
Um, but the fact that it's going to be uh, Pittsburgh's basically, I think all they've been, obviously the cover, all they have to do is win. And I think they're going to make all the plays necessary to win the game. We know their defense isn't very good. Um, so they, they can be had, but I believe I, I would trust them to be able to go and put up the offense, especially playing a little bit more desperate Cincinnati, not, not really one of those teams that you think of as a front running team. Like w- we know that Andy Dalton is due to play some clunkers and he could get brought back down to earth pretty quick. And the Steelers have had these guys numbers. I find this one pretty easy. It's not, I thought about locking this one up, but I couldn't quite go there. Um, I am going to take the Steelers. As, oh, I take it back. Now that I'm actually referencing my notes, <laughs> I do have the Steelers as my lock of the week. I should probably look at go. the actual picks that I'm making <laughs> when I make the picks. There it is. It's official. It's official. Lock it down. Steelers. Thought I didn't have this as my lead because I was highly contemplating it. But then when I look at my notes and I go lock next year, that's probably the one I want to take <laughs> as a lock of the week. I'd look like an ass if we got to the end of the show and be like, well, what's your lock? Oh, I don't know. Oh, wait, it's the one I said was absolutely not my lock. Or if we went off the air and you were like, oh, wait, I forgot to tell, yeah. uh, I forgot to yeah. say my lock. On I'll the tell air. you my lock of the week tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Or, or oh, by, oh wait, yeah. show. or when Pittsburgh's up like 42 to 10 in the third quarter, I'll be like texting you like, no, no, that's my lock of the week. <laughs> really? I forgot. I forgot to tell you this was my lock, as you can see <laughs> how dominant they are. Um, no, uh, I, I tend to lean, uh, lean towards uh, all the points that you were making that the Steelers are the team in this series that has always found a way to step up and make the play when it matters. All those cheap shots and all the back and forth, uh, eventually you get down to playing football, and the Steelers uh, historically are much better at that than the Bengals, of course. Uh, a couple of interesting – what I found interesting notes on this game. Uh, Pro Football Focus uh, podcast, Sam Monson was saying – Uh, He he brought to everyone's attention that William Jackson last year, the cornerback for the Bengals, when he had Antonio Brown one-on-one, there were seven balls uh, attempted to Antonio Brown when covered by William Jackson, and Brown was 0 for 7 on those balls. Jackson, uh, if there's anyone apparently that can play some sort of one-on-one defense and, and take care of Antonio Brown, apparently William Jackson is the man to do that. So we'll see if he can repeat that effort tomorrow. Uh, ben Roethlisberger needs to turn it up. Uh, he needs to sort of take this team, which just seems like it's so fractured, the Steelers, with all the Le'Veon Bell drama in the locker room, uh, turning against a guy that's looking for uh, his fair share of money, which you don't ever see that in any other locker room. That still blows my mind that uh, it felt like such an organized team effort to make Le'Veon Bell seem like the bad guy for wanting to be paid which is what any athlete wants is to just get paid while he has a chance to before he pulls an Earl Thomas and gets something broken and, and loses out on guaranteed money. Uh, so I still think that locker room has been sort of fractured all year and recovering from that. But uh, I, I got to give it up to James Conner. He's been playing much better than I thought he would. Uh, and I think now is a good time for Ben to step up and sort of reclaim the mantle as the leader of the team and, and, do what he's got to do. He, he, he needed all of the second half last week to get back on track with Antonio Brown. They have been sort of having a disconnect on the field, uh, but they did get it together in 
garbage time and, and connect for a couple of scores. So I think it's a, a perfect time for that combination to start clicking again. You're going to need it against the Bengals. Um, so I agree with you. I think the Steelers uh, step up and, and do what they're supposed to do in this spot and what they've always done in this rivalry in this spot, which is beat up the Bengals, get well against a team that's less not just less talented but less disciplined and more likely to make the big mistake uh, in the big moment, whether it's just a, a football error or it's a penalty at the wrong at the wrong time of, of some sort of personal foul, uh, losing their cool, something along those lines. I agree with you. I have the Steelers winning tomorrow. I know I don't have it as my lock. I don't have to speculate uh, because I don't feel that strongly about it. I think only you know maybe a touchdown or so Steelers would win by. But I agree with you on the uh, on the general sentiment that the Steelers uh, are the ones that step up in this rivalry at this point, and, and they should do it again tomorrow. Yeah, it just, you know, we talked about this with Patriots-Dolphins. It's the muscle memory. This is just sort of the rinse and repeat. We know exactly kind of what to expect. We Andy Dalton can go out and shit the bed with the best of them, and the Steelers absolutely need this win more. Uh, than the Bengals do, and the, you know, and all, overall, you would expect that Pittsburgh is the better team, and that should win out. But if the Bengals are able to pull this one out, it's their division to lose. Oh yeah, it's it's a huge, huge win if they can uh, put the Steelers underneath at two and three, and, and while they go to five and one, uh, they they would be in the driver's seat for sure. Uh, I just cannot imagine that happening, and then neither can you. Uh, no. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, given the choices that we had, we're going to be moving on to Rams Broncos. Does that sound right? Sure, we can do uh, we can do Rams Broncos. Uh, even though Denver's two and three, they're uh, they're the team that we thought was going to give. Kansas City, uh, their first loss. They gave them all they could handle, but the the Chiefs managed to storm back and get that incredible comeback win with all the crazy plays that Pat Mahomes was making. So now here comes the other uh, world-class offense, the other world-class undefeated team so far through uh, five weeks of the season. It's still Los Angeles Rams coming in for their uh, annual visit. Uh, No, that's not a division matchup. I'm sorry. Uh, The Rams coming in to – that last uh, the, the Kansas City game was the annual visit with the division matchup. This is not, uh, but this is a, a west uh, west side rivalry, not west coast, but the west part of the country there, uh, with the Rams and the Broncos. Uh, very important injuries uh, with this one: uh, Brandon Cooks and and Cooper Cup, the wide receivers for the Rams, both got concussed in the last game. Uh, both are expected to go. They're expected to be back for this game uh, against the Broncos. Uh, by the way, the Rams are a, a big favorite. They are a seven-point favorite uh, at the Broncos. The Rams at 5-0, and the Broncos at 2-3. and I guess what I'm concerned about is you got two guys uh, that, that got concussed, and not just they're not just guys. They're, uh, as I said on the last show, they're – two of the three or maybe the two top receivers on such a dynamic passing offense. And they can be cleared to come back, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready to come back. Uh, And to imagine, I'm not saying that 
they're going to fail. I'm not saying that uh, one or both or, or either one are going to have a bad day tomorrow. I'm not saying they're, they're not going to show up. All I'm saying is to rely on them to show up or to expect that they're going to both come back and be exactly as great as they've been so far this year is it's risky. It's just risky is, is all. And uh, when you're picking games against the spread, you tend to try to avoid risky plays. Uh, I'm going to take the Broncos in this game. I think they can win the game. Uh, it's a, a lot of the same issues that I had uh, against the Chiefs, which is you got a, a relatively inexperienced quarterback who's, who's flying high and, and the world is right there for him, but he hasn't won a ton of big games in his career, and this is pretty big on the road at mile high in one of the tougher environments in football uh you would say against one of the tougher defenses except they've been a little bit of sleep in denver so far this year von miller has been uh sort of slumbering they're waiting for him to wake up uh the run d has been getting gashed the passing d hasn't been all that much better uh so they they could be better the broncos maybe they'll get better in time for this game with the, another uh, tough opponent on the horizon, they really need to step up and, and get better. And I think they will. I, I, I have confidence that uh, Vance Joseph knows that uh, his, his seat's getting a little warm in Denver, and I think he's going to have the, the team ready to go and, and ready for another top-notch uh, opponent and another big matchup. Um, had a pro football focus stat. I know my internet is not acting right, but that page is still uh, up. Uh, amazingly, Todd Gurley has caught eight screen passes this year for 114 yards. That's a lot of fucking yards on screen yeah. passes. So he's just getting the ball and looking up and just seeing green in front of him. And that's a big part of why this offense is doing what it's doing. And it, can Denver control that? Can they curtail, uh, curtail that and, and stop that? Uh, they might not, but I'm, I'm, there's a lot of points. There's a lot of leeway uh, when you talk about taking Denver. Uh, I'll take them, and I'll take the seven points because that's a lot of points at home against a team that's uh, maybe not that quite that bad, uh, a little bit of a disrespectful line reminiscent of last week with the Rams uh, at Seattle, which I also thought was disrespectful. I'm not locking this one up, but sort of the same principle. The the Rams are great, but maybe they're not quite this great, and I'll take the uh, the Broncos and the points. Yeah, we're going to just start off the show here completely concurring on both of our first picks. And interesting element to this game with the Los Angeles team going up to mile high with the, with the Broncos and that defense, and they still can play really good defense. They can still get after it. And they did do a very good job for, you know, three and a half quarters of containing that Chiefs offense uh, minus that, that incredible fourth quarter, you know, last half of the fourth quarter comeback by Patrick Mahomes. Tell you one thing this Rams team isn't probably looking forward tomorrow, and don't believe we'd be saying this on October 14th. Snow. Yeah, really. There's a snow game tomorrow. Uh, 28 in Denver tomorrow with 15-mile-an-hour winds and one to three inches of snow expected. And and snowing, you know, from the morning through into the afternoon. I want to see how this Rams offense and all this high-flying stuff works in, you know, freezing temperatures with snow. <laughs> I mean, 
I'm sure it was Gurley, and, and they'll still be able to probably get some kind of a running game going, but it feels like this is going to grind the game down. Um, it feels like the kind of game where the Broncos will be able to hold the Rams under that sort of magical 30 that they've been able to, to the Rams have been able to get to every week. And with those banged up receivers, you know, I mean, how timid are, how timid are they going to be? How easy is it going to be for the, the Broncos to maybe be physical with those guys? Uh, you know, because they obviously don't want those guys running around getting hurt even more than they already are. I easily could see the Broncos. I'm not saying I think they're going to win because I do think the Rams still possess the overall greater talent. And I do believe the Rams will eke out a win, but I think it's going to be more of an ugly win. But again, for a good team should go and win an ugly style game. The Rams last week just had to win a shootout. Now I want to see if they can do the other side. This looks more like a playoff scenario. This this is more like what you're going to need to see from the Rams to think about, okay, them going somewhere in the cold, in the winter time. Are they going to be able to, you know, translate this offense into anything come January? Also, the Rams defense has not been as exceptional as it was the first couple weeks of the season. So they've been a little bit more had um, the last few weeks as well. So things aren't going quite as easy, even though they're 5-0. and um, I'm going to take Denver here and all the points. Yeah, I did not know it was going to be snow. I am aware that, the, of course, the temperatures around the country are very much uh, uh, depressed and decreased from what yeah. they normally are this time of year. So it's going to be a, a chillier football Sunday uh, all across the country. But, yeah, I didn't realize it was going to be snowing in Denver. Uh, yeah, that's, that makes me – feel even better about the pick. Yeah. Yeah, this is gonna be a snow game and uh yeah, they're they're accumulating snow tonight and tomorrow in Denver. Uh, one of the things I don't look at weather forecasts a lot, but I, I just know with the, how cold it's been and they and I've been hearing, you know, things about parts of the I mean I we had snow showers uh here within the last couple of days. Nothing stuck. It was it was cold enough in the atmosphere that there, there were some flakes coming down. This is very early for us to see it, and accumulating snow tonight and tomorrow in Denver as well. I think that just uh, I think the Rams are going to be feeling pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely not in California anymore. But uh, it almost makes me feel a little nervous for the uh, the playoff scenario that I said the Rams would once again be a one and done because they don't have yeah. the uh, experience. But this is the type of game you gain some experience. Uh, whether they win or lose, and they very well may lose, they should look at each other a little different after this game. Like, okay, now we've been through something. Yeah. Well, and this, and, and of course, this is all. These couple picks here have just been a precursor, of course, to the game of the week. I mean, it's a game of the century, right? I mean, the way this thing is being touted. If the Chiefs win, Pat Mahomes is like the second coming of Tom Brady. Huh? This is as ridiculous as the whole face of the MLB thing that they did with Aaron Judge after he had like one half of a season that was halfway decent. It was like all all the things. Oh no, he's the face of baseball. What? Well, now, so now now Pat Mahomes is going to be the heir apparent, and it's the passing of the what? He's played five games in the NFL, six if you count the the six games. At the end of last year, he played one. All right. <sighs> no, you you know how the hype is. You know he's undefeated oh, and. Yeah, he's going to hype New England yeah. and all of that. Primetime game, primetime game too. Oh, the rating's going to be huge. It's going to be a huge number yeah. for this one. Yeah, so you you know all the deal. I, I haven't heard any of that uh, next Tom Brady stuff because I haven't listened to 
Yeah, we glad you stayed away from it this week. It was nauseating. No, no surprise. But uh, yeah, it's Kansas City at five and zero. New England at only three and two, but three and zero at home, and looking for all the world like they're you know they're back. They look like they uh, have recovered from the two beatings that they took uh, a couple weeks ago, back to back, and now they've turned into performances at home that make them look like they're all the way there. And a third performance uh, would not be unheard of considering how terrible the Chiefs' defense is, which we talk about every week. But the uh, Patriots' defense, no great shakes. Now they have to host Pat Mahomes and that very hot Kansas City Chiefs offense. So uh, one thing I do know is the over-under should be 300 in this game. Um, So it should be very, very exciting. should be back and forth. But, of course, as the point spread will tell you, the respect – still lies with the Patriots. They're at home. They're the AFC champions. They, they certainly got the muscle memory from beating teams like this, although maybe not the Chiefs specifically because their last two meetings have not gone the uh, Patriots' way. But uh, they do still get the respect of being the Dons of the AFC. Uh, the undefeated Chiefs are not just three-point, but three-and-a-hook, three-and-a-half-point dogs at the three-and-two Patriots. Jason, what's your pick? Yeah, all the numbers, all the stats floating around this week. You know, of course, the big one being that Bill Belichick is, I believe, it's twenty-three and zero at home against quarter, you know, against rookie quarterbacks or quarterbacks under the age of twenty-five. So they they do find ways, even when the Patriots, the Patriots haven't had great defenses. They've been they were great, and then they have steadily declined through the years. Uh, I mean, even though this Chiefs offense with what Pat Mahomes is doing does does feel like a different animal. Uh, the other interesting stat that I saw this week is through five games last year, Patrick Mahomes actually has worse numbers than what Alex Smith had last year through five games. Now that blew my mind because yeah, we didn't want the great Alex Smith start last year. Yeah, and one of those starts was that first Thursday night beatdown, I believe, of the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. Absolute twenty-seven dismantling of the Patriots. And it wasn't even that close. I mean, I know that was a final score says that was a 15 point game. That was an absolute ass whooping um, with Alex Smith at the helm and through the, through five games of him and what Patrick Mahomes has done this year, Alex Smith actually had the better numbers this point in the season last year, which I, I, Again, he was sometimes you serious MVP talk. I remember yeah. now. Yes, he was. So I think sometimes you kind of need that sort of like wake up. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I did. Now that you put it that way, I guess that makes sense. I mean, obviously the level of arm talent and you know awareness and all the things that Mahomes has shown. You know, leadership, moving the ball, comeback ability, all the things that he has shown show that he's the guy, uh, you know, but just knowing that, yeah, the Chiefs, we, we know the Chiefs can get off to hot starts. We've seen this before, and they're doing it with zero defense this year, and I think that's what's going to be their downfall ultimately on Sunday night is, is just the fact that I, I don't trust – I don't trust a, a basically a rookie quarterback going into New England, you know, even though the, the Patriots' defense isn't very good either. I, I, I think Belichick will have something – something different, a different look, a different scheme. He'll, he'll trick him into making a couple of bad reads just through you know, just pure experience alone. And just kind of knowing, no, he knows more than what you know, 
And I think just through that, it's going to be enough. And I think, you know, you never want to give Brady or any of these guys, especially Brady, anything that, that go into his head to give him any motivation. Any of the talk this week about how all oh, the you know the Chiefs are going to go up there and they're going to knock off the Patriots and the Patriots are, you know, this is the end for this. Like every time you kind of give fuel to the fire to the Patriots, they do rise up to these occasions. It won't happen forever. It's eventually going to have to end. We know that when it ends, it's going to end ugly, but it's not going to end tomorrow night. I'm going to take the Patriots here in a very familiar spot probably win this game by two touchdowns and we'll all just go, Oh yeah, of course they did. Cause this is just what they do. And uh, I'm going to take the Patriots here uh, fairly easy. But you have to pause at Andy Reed and the chiefs. The last two meetings, it hasn't just yeah. been the chiefs win. It's been Casey squishes. Yeah. They, so they've something them. there. So Andy Reed might Andy, know something. He ain't scared. Andy Reed ain't scared of Bill Belichick at all. Yeah. Um, and he's, He's gonna. He's got this kid Mahomes that apparently isn't scared of anybody, so that's compels me to look at Kansas City hard and think that maybe they have what it takes. Maybe they have the moxie, as uh, uh, Murga used to say when he was on TV. Uh, maybe they have what it takes to to go in and, and put it on the, the 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 Patriots, just like Alex Smith did last year. But man, the Chiefs' defense was not this bad last year. This is just atrocious. And and it gets worse because of the injuries. Uh, we know Eric Berry still isn't playing. Uh, now safety Eric Murray is going to be down. Justin Houston is not playing in this game. Uh, we thought D. Ford wasn't going to play last week, but he did play. But he's obviously banged up. Uh, the Chiefs are not going to just give it up in the air to Tom Brady. They're going to get ran over on the ground, too. The Chiefs are giving up 5.8 yards per rush this year. I don't even know who the Patriots have running anymore. Is it James White still there? Is it Stony uh, Michelle? Corey Dillon out of retirement? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Corey Dillon and Curtis Martin are both going to be suited up tomorrow in the backfield. Antoine Smith is ready. There's going to be a Keith Byers fighting too. (laughs) Whoever is running for the Patriots, they're going to gash the Chiefs on the ground, and Tom Brady's going to go through the air because he's going to look over at the kid and think, okay, whatever, fuck you, little pissant. Let me show you who the man is. Uh, this is the, the familiar New England uh, beating, as you just said. Uh, it is the Chiefs who have beaten them the last two times, but, again, their defense wasn't this bad any of those two times. This is no. That makes all the difference, the fact that the Chiefs' defense is all-time bad right now, and I don't see how it gets any better uh, tomorrow night against Tom Brady and a motivated Patriots team. So I will agree with you. I will give the three and a half and take the team that's not undefeated over the undefeated team and give three and a half. And that's, it's hard to believe, but as we know, this is what the Patriots thrive on. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're three for three in the highlight games here. Sure. We're going to disagree on a lot of these uh, other games. Yeah, so I mean, it moves us into the. Uh, we actually left ourselves 17 minutes here for the last picks with the, with a buy, a couple teams on buy. Maybe we'll actually get them into the show. That moves us into the rest of the picks in much less detail. Let's go overseas uh, for our much less detail picks. Let's go to London for the first England game of the year. 
They are sending the Seahawks and the Raiders over there. Everyone gets some Murgo. We had it all year in America, and now uh, the UK gets to gets gets some Murgo in their hands. Uh, Seattle is at two and three. They are favored by two and a half over the one and four Oakland Raiders. Well, somebody better be getting some frequent flyer miles out of this thing. Sending those two all the way over to London. We talked about that on the last show. Man, that's a long two westernmost teams. Yeah, so who so so basically to me it's who's gonna who's gonna come out of this the best? I'm actually gonna take the Raiders to win here. Uh, I think their offense is gonna be able to take uh, take care of this sort of Legion of Room defense of the Seattle Seahawks, and we always know that like the weird shit happens in these London games. So when you would go, what's the weirdest possible outcome? I'm gonna take the Raiders straight up. No, oh, that's pretty weird. Uh, I'm going to take Seattle because uh, the Seahawks last week against the Rams and, and their marauding defensive line, they moved Russell Wilson around a lot. They had to figure out how to keep him from getting killed, so they had him a lot of moving pockets. They they somehow managed to avoid getting him squished, and, and he had a pretty good game. He doesn't have to worry about that here because, again, as you may have heard, it's so hard to find good pass rushing these, oh, these days. Man, it is, it is, so, it is brutally hard. You know, Real quick on that game too. I informed my pick for this game tomorrow on the pick on the game on Thursday night, where we just saw another team that lost in a heartbreaker, leave, left it all on the field, and they still still was it still wasn't good enough. And we and the Giants bounced back, at not at all. And I actually, I think Seattle kind of like man, we gave it everything we had, and we're done. <laughs> they got nothing. That may well happen, uh, but, but I, I find it real hard to go with Murga for for any reason. We'll, we'll, I got to pick him. In, I got to pick him at some point, but uh, not in this spot. I still respect Seattle too much. The Buccaneers and the Falcons in NFC South action. Jameis Winston coming back from suspension for his first official start uh, will lead the two and two Buccaneers into Atlanta. That's the cop out three point line, Tampa plus three at the desperate one and four Falcons. Yeah. Beyond desperate Falcons. And, you know, and minus all those defensive injuries and all the holes in that team right now on defense, you look at those rosters, you still know Atlanta is the better team. And I think they actually play like it tomorrow. And I think they get a few mistakes out, a few gifts out of Jameis Winston. They turn over the Bucks a couple of times, and that's enough to keep the Falcons on the right side of a shootout. I concur. Uh, Jameis keeping that Tampa Bay machine going that uh, Patrick Fitzryan started. Uh, they're still number one, Tampa Bay is, in passing yards per game uh, after the bye last week. Uh, that will steadily come down as the season goes on. Uh it's a depleted Atlanta defense, so you would think he could keep it going, but I I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be able to match what uh, Matt Ryan and the Falcons yeah. does to the Tampa Bay defense because they are about as bad as the, as the Chiefs or any other defense in football. They are literally DFL in passing yards, uh, giving up per game. So uh, Matty Ice should just light them up tomorrow, and Atlanta really needs to win badly. So I will agree with you and give the three. Arizona and Minnesota, it is the biggest spread of the week. The 1-4 Cardinals with Josh Rosen under center, 10.5-point underdogs at the 2-2-1 Minnesota Vikings. 
You know, the Vikings have displayed this, uh, kind of an unnerving tendency to let bad teams kind of hang around. They got beat by Buffalo. They barely beat San Francisco and covered that number. But I think the Vikings are going to be clearly the better team here. I like the Vikings squish. It's not enough. Uh, I'm worried with the uh, injury situations. Uh, they're hard-hitting safety. Andrew Sandejo will not play. Uh, Dalvin Cook should return, but Everson Griffin's still not there, still with his mental health issues. Uh, I, I'm uh, The defense should flatten Arizona and, and Josh Rosen, you would think, uh, and Arizona should not be able to slow down uh, Diggs and Thielen, but I think they will. I'm, I'm going to take Arizona and the points uh, because I think they're just going to be able to do enough to hang around, and if they lose by 10, that's still sort of a blowout, but that's still – good enough to cover. So I, for some reason, I think they're going to just hang around just enough to, to cover that big spread. Here's the game that we thought we might highlight the Clippers and the Brown fever. That, oh. Hey, the Chargers are three and two. The Browns are yeah. at 500 in week six, which I, I consider a major upset. They're two, two and one. Uh, and they're favored again. Here we go. The last time the Browns were favored was that Thursday nighter, and you just couldn't do it. Well, you get another chance. Uh, the Chargers are one-and-a-half-point underdogs at the Browns. Yeah, a couple things here. One, I don't know if I – I haven't still found it in my heart that I can take the Browns as a favorite. Brown fever is all about taking them as the underdog. That's the Brown fever when you just – you got to go against all convention. Also, the matchup is bad here for Cleveland, especially for the offensive side of the ball for Cleveland. The Clippers are really good against the run and really bad against the pass. And the the Browns are the opposite. They're really good running the ball. It's sort of mediocre passing it. They're not winning these games because of Baker Mayfield. They're winning these games because they can run the ball, one of the best in the league, and they have that defense that just gets turnovers left and right. That's why they're winning games, and I think it match up badly with the Clippers here, so I'm going to take the experience of Rivers and the Chargers. You would think by listening to the hype that it's all Baker Mayfield. They're just winning everything because – Oh, did I just, did I just crap all over Baker Mayfield? Sorry. Uh, you, know that, you know how the hype machine goes. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, though. That Browns outfit is all swagged out under him. The, out, the attitude is different. They, they play like they have more confidence. They look like they have more confidence. Uh, uh, something's changed. I, I can't tell you exactly what, but I, I guess if I were playing and, and trying to kill myself playing NFL football and my quarterback is Tyrod Taylor and all of a sudden it's Baker Mayfield, I'd probably feel a lot better about things too. So I, I can understand that. Uh, the, the Clippers are still shorthanded without Joey Bosa. Uh, they're going uh, east from the from the west. They're playing an early game for them, um, and, and I, I and they also don't are not going to have one of their uh, best tacklers, Jatavis Brown. So uh, there's something about the Browns right now. Something about the Brown fever. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Browns and give the one and a half and and see if they can keep it going for one more week. I still don't believe right. in Baker Mayfield long term. No. <laughs> I hope they win by one. Uh, here we go in in almost no detail. Colts. Jets. Colts are one and four. They're two point underdogs at the two and three Jets. Yeah, uh, exact same matchup as what I just described for Cleveland. The Jets are really good running, and the, the the Colts, believe it or not, have one of the best 
rushing defenses in football where the Jets, uh, where the uh, Colts can be had is through the air, and Sam Darnold's not going to be able to get that done either. And Andrew Luck has been quietly very good so far this year. I'm going to take the Colts over the Jets. Yeah, Luck has been uh, decent at times, but no T.Y. Hilton. That makes all the difference for me when you take not just any receiver, but the clearly the best receiver on that team, and he's not going to be out there taking any snaps that's that's a deal breaker for me, so I'm going to take the Jets and give the two. On to Buffalo and Houston, tied for the second biggest spread of the week. There's a couple of ten point spreads this week. The two and three Bills with Project under center, ten point dogs at the two and three Houston Texans. I've seen absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing from Houston to justify them being a ten point favorite against anybody, even the Buffalo Bills who've shown flashes. They just won a game. They they beat the Vikings on the road. I'll take the Bills and the points and hold my nose and, and, and run and hide here, but that, I don't see anything from Houston so far that says they're 10 points better than anybody. What I've seen is a defense getting uh, better and better and angrier and angrier. J.J. Watts played incrementally better every game since the season started. He obviously had to build back up from his uh, catastrophic injury last year. Uh I think Houston comes for Buffalo. I think they come for Project and make his life a living hell tomorrow and uh, beat him by more than 10. I, I know Deshaun Watson's beat up too, but uh, I don't think Buffalo's going to provide much uh, pass rush for him. I think he gets a little bit of a breather there uh, and gets to make some plays downfield. Uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen too much out of Buffalo to make me trust them, even as a 10-point dog. Uh, I, I think Houston comes and, and eats them. Here's the Bears coming back uh, off a bye. Chicago looking so impressive in their last game a couple weeks ago. 3-1, and one, they are four-point favorites on the road at the continuously disrespected 3-2 and two Miami Dolphins. The absolutely disrespected Miami Dolphins. And uh, I know you've, I've started to see what you and, and Renard um, have been talking about is these home road splits for Mitch Trubisky are starting to become a little alarming like how good he can look at home and then what happens when he goes on the road. And the, and the Dolphins, a team that nobody really talks about, the Patriots just kind of dismissed them. But they still play good defense. Ryan Tannehill's been steady. I'm going to take the Dolphins and, uh, and the four points. I don't necessarily know that the Dolphins are going to win this game, but four-point dogs at home to the Bears? That is a bit disrespectful. I'll, I'm going to play the disrespect card and take the Dolphins here. It is disrespectful, but there's a couple of factors. And, and I'm a Chicago homer, so you have to take all of this with a grain of salt. But what if that game against Tampa Bay was the great unlocking of Mitch Trubisky? What if he takes it to another level from this point? It's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's possible. Uh, what if the Bears' defense comes back from a bye? Look at what they were doing before the bye. They're rested now. Khalil Mack got, got a chance to breathe and rest and they're going to come for Ryan Tannehill tomorrow, and that might be really, really ugly. And the worst part of all is it may not be Ryan Tannehill. He popped up late on the injury report late this week with a shoulder injury. Uh, it sounds like there's a there's actually a chance he may not be able to go. Do you know oh, who I, the backup quarterback is in Miami? Uh, I, know who, I, I know who it is. It's contingency <laughs> pick. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. If Brock Osweiler takes center for the Miami Dolphins as a starter tomorrow, 
Jason will switch his pick to the Chicago can I have Bears. A, can I have a contingency lock? <laughs> like, if Brock Osweiler starts for the Dolphins tomorrow, can I switch my lock over to them too? Uh, we'll have to get a ruling on that. We've never had that particular. <laughs> no, I, I won't do it. I won't do it. But no, the total <laughs> contingency pick. If that is not Ryan Tannehill under center tomorrow, if he is ruled out of that game or does not start, no way in hell am I taking Brock Osweiler <laughs> against that Bears defense. Not at all. So contingency pick for me. There you go. All right, on to Carolina and Washington, two East teams, but they're playing in the late window. Uh, Carolina at three and one, a one point favorite on the road at the two and two Washington Redskins. I was looking. I looked really hard. It's probably the game I spent the most time on, like actually digging through stats and numbers, trying to find a way. I really wanted to take the Redskins here, but can't do it. Just can't <laughs> do it. So I'm going to take the Panthers here. There was just nothing that jumped off the page here that says I can trust the Redskins at all in this spot. I think this. I think this line's almost like gift territory here. A lot of drama up there in Washington with Josh Norman. I don't know if you've been reading about all of that, but uh, no. uh, he may he may have been the one that blew the Breeze record-breaking coverage. Uh, if you saw the play, uh, the the guy was wide uh, wide open. Uh, okay, wound, wound up being a touchdown. Uh, he may have blown the play. He got benched in the second half. Uh, there's a report that it wasn't necessarily blowing that play that got him benched, but that uh, instead it was uh, during the halftime speech of of the embattled coach Jay Gruden, uh, Norman uh, apparently was wearing headphones the entire time and didn't even bother to take him off and listen to the guy. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. And now we come back to uh, host his old team, the Panthers. So you would think he'd be focused and turned up and ready for this, but it sounds like the opposite. It sounds like he's almost having a little bit of a breakdown. Uh, so that bodes very, very badly for the Redskins. Uh, so I agree with you. I will find a, a, a way to take the Panthers in this. I cannot find a way to take the Redskins. So wait, so a toss-up, what's worse, blowing the coverage on purpose against Breeze to get him the record, or Brett Favre laying down for Michael Strahan to give him the sack record? I, I did not hear that he blew the coverage on purpose. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. I heard I heard that he blew <laughs> uh, We don't that, know that, that Brett Favre did it on purpose either, do we? Huh? Uh it it looked it looked bad. But whatever Brett Favre did the turtle <laughs> against Michael Strahan, it was it was a real bad look. Dude. It was some real bad optics there. Uh, moving on to uh, Jacksonville and Dallas as the Jaguars try to bounce back from that loss to Kansas City, that bad yep. loss. Uh, Jags at three and two, three point favorites on the road at the two and three Cowboys. Yeah. So the Cowboys rank thirtieth or worst in just about every offensive category. Going against the best defensive football, yeah, Jag squish. So the Cowboys rank fifth in rushing yards per game, and they're uh, up there at the top in yards per attempt rushing the ball at 5.2. They're still doing what they do best. They're still grading uh, against any defense. They're still just running them down, and and Ezekiel Elliott is still getting it done uh, in the backfield there. I actually see them getting behind Ezekiel Elliott and doing what they do best because they they got to know that they can't throw on Jacksonville with Dak Prescott and that receiving core. I got Dallas to win the game by running the ball and, and doing what they got to do on the ground. Uh, so I actually have Dallas. Uh, and then, you know, I don't like picking Dallas very much. 
these last two picks are probably going to be in the after show. So if you're listening live, I apologize for that. Uh, Baltimore at three and two minus two and a half at the three and two Tennessee Titans. Yeah, I got to roll, you know, with an ugly and home. I'm going to take Tennessee here and get and, and take the points. Yeah, the, the underdogs, uh, winning ugly versus that's so Raven. I, I have no idea. Uh, I'm taking Baltimore. I don't know why. I, I have no idea. Monday night, uh, San Fran at one and four plus ten at the two two and one Packers. Yeah, you haven't given us a lock of the week yet, so I've got a suspicion here as we move in now to the after show that, that it's coming from this game. Uh, yeah, there's there's no way I can roll with DJ Panther. This this feels just like the Buffalo. Uh, Gabe for Green Bay, where Green Bay rolled in there and beat that, rolled them 22 to nothing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers on one leg is going to completely stymie and and beat up the uh, San Francisco 49ers. And uh, please, please tell me you're not taking the Niners as your lock. That would be deeply disappointing. Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison both have hamstrings. They're game time oh, decisions. Boy. They might have all these kids running around again. At wide receiver, the 49ers are not a pushover throwing the ball against them. They actually are defending the pass decently this year. Maybe Kyle Shanahan can scheme his way past the Green Bay defense. It shouldn't be all that hard. The Packers' D isn't any great shakes. I'm just so impressed by being able to even compete with C.J. Beathard as your quarterback, which I didn't think there would be any chance that they could do. Covering those those kids, the, the Niners can do that. Uh, and and the kid Beathard can can play a little bit, yeah. That's that's, uh, that's pretty disrespectful to be a ten point dog in, in that spot against a, a one legged quarterback who might be throwing to a bunch of kids. Yeah, I'll, I'll lock the I'll lock the Forty ers up. I'll take those ten points. They can win that game absolutely. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, lock know. Of the, this is what I, I just want to point out. This is why you lost the first couple of years of doing lock of the week. <laughs> lock of the week is supposed to be like the surefire pick. Of the, just, I'm just saying, just, just trying to help you out here. You're my friend. Okay. You could be right. I mean, all you have to do is be right. So all you have to do is make the right pick during when you make the lock of the week. But okay. Okay. No, you're right. I, I did lose a lot of games in which I took a big <laughs> underdog because I thought, hey, I can see yeah. them competing and maybe yeah. even winning. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take all those. We're going to have to change lock of the week to smartest guy in the room pick of the week. <laughs> I, I, that's what it's always been. We just haven't really said that. No, okay. <laughs> I, I'll, no, well, we'll have to totally change it now. We, we've always tried to – Who's the smartest guy in the room with the with the lock? There's always been a little bit of that. I, I, you took the Niners as your lock of the week. Wow. <laughs> I know. I, Ten points. I, I honestly, it's a, I, I it's actually, a big number. I, I just, I don't see. I mean, it could happen. I mean, we, I could watch that guy, but would I be surprised? I just came off of picking the Packers to be, uh, you know, opposed by lock of the week. Don't forget. They're going up against my undefeated record here this year. You never lose picking Packers. That's right. You're going to go 16-0. I'm 5-0 with the Packers, 4-0 against this year. So this is on the line here. And you locked up the opposite of my pick. So exactly this could be right. trouble for me here. 
I honestly did when I graded out the game before I knew what the uh, what the spread was. I honestly did pick the Niners to win the game. Straight I, up, I got wow. them. I got them twenty three twenty one. Yikes! Hey. Yeah, I just I just don't know if this is their this if this is a spot. It would be a huge win for them, but I I think that they had their big moment with C.J. Beathard in that first game that he started, and then last week I think we got a lot more of the reality. And that reality against really, really good defenses, yeah, I can absolutely see that. No, well, I don't think the Packers provide that no. big of a challenge. No, the Packers are not a great defense. The, the Packers do not play tremendous defense, I will give you that. But I, I still I don't know. I got a bad feeling about this one for your boy, your new boy, C.J. Beathard. Oh, he's definitely my guy if he pulls this off for me. Yeah, all, all, I mean, it all counts I said as of, one game in the standings and one lock for you. But, yeah, this could be huge for you. That's a big, big, big momentum for you going into week seven. I have to take back everything I said about him and, and, and praises. Uh, I have to praise him now. Oh, is he going to, oh yeah. He's, he won't be the new Messiah though. No, I won't. I won't go that far, but, uh, but I will absolutely take back everything I said. I'll stop. I, what I'll do is I'll stop playing the dun, dun, dun every time I bring him up. That's what I'll do. <laughs> You just like Obviously. the new drop. You got to play. It's like a toy. Well, it fit for him. I mean, think about all the what the networks were thinking when they scheduled all these uh, 49ers primetime oh, games. God. And then they go from Garoppolo to this guy. They were thinking that same horror music. So I mean, we I just for, knew. For, for them as, much, as, as well as yeah. for myself. But we knew they'd be the hot shit team. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Oh. In the media. You know, which is funny because we isolated on that last year that this would happen, and then both of us completely crapped all over the 49ers going into this season. Like, yeah, that's not going to keep going on. Right. Well, you got to be – at some point you got to be realistic when you're – you know, the romanticism right. would say to take them to win the division and, and be the and beat the Rams and – uh, and just fall all in completely in love with with Garoppolo and take him to go twelve and four and shit like that. You got to be realistic at some point. Yeah. Or like when we were talking about the Vegas odds, you know, like the uh, the 49ers were like top half of the league for Super Bowl odds with that roster. And that's just yeah, that's just romanticism again. Just putting your money on yeah. the the 49ers. We go, oh, the 49ers are back, baby. Yeah, anybody who put money on that, too, anybody who bet that line, proceed to burn your ticket. It's never going to hit. Or just send your money to me. If you want to give your money away, just send it to me. I'll take it. Yeah. So, um, of course, I've been – I was talking while you were disconnected, you know, that we'd have to get into this a little bit in the after show. But any any, any thoughts from you so far on the kind of the first two couple of wild games here in the – NLCS here with the Dodgers and, and, and the Brewers. So what happened today? The, uh, the Dodgers come back and win? The Dodgers did come back and win today, uh, which sort of goes with my take on the way that the, the first two games went. So no, you, so you didn't, you didn't kind of, you didn't catch up with that then. No, I was uh, hung up a little bit coming from, from work. And so I didn't see the ending, but I did see on Twitter ah, okay. that the Dodgers uh, had come back and won. So, yeah, so basically, uh, so here's my breakdown then of the first two games since you missed the second game. I, I put this both of these squarely on each manager where I believe that in, in game one, 
it was sort of the the decision making of of Dave Roberts that lost them that game, and then in game two, I think Craig Council through his decision making lost that game. So in game one, you know the Brewers are pulling this bullpen crap, right? So they go from Gio Gonzalez then to the right-handed Woodruff, uh, right-hander Woodruff, and then Dave Roberts empties his bench with his lefties. And it does it, and then not that long later, Council counters with Hader, who then goes three innings, completely yeah. eliminates the fact that he could pitch today, which goes to the fact that they did lose today. So he blows his best reliever, but you get three innings of him going up against all of those lefties because he'd already emptied. So you had to know that with the counterpoint to the move, was where Roberts made the move was not just sticking with that right-handed lineup and sort of negating the impact because you knew Hader was coming. And then today, for some reason, unbeknownst to everybody, uh, Craig Council left Jeremy Jeffress in to pitch the eighth inning after he had come into a, a jam in the seventh and escaped it only allowing one of the inherited runners to score. But you could just see in the pitches that Jeffress was making. He's, first of all, he's only got two pitches. 96 right. and hard and like an 82 mile an hour, like kind of like a, like a change up. Mm-hmm. And he was putting some balls in some spots. Like all the Dodgers were just missing some of these pitches. You know, he threw one to the, with the bases loaded, he threw a pitch to Puig on the very first pitch that was like 83 off speed down the middle. And Puig just missed. I mean, he, he fouled it off, but you could see the cut that he had on that location and then the whole rest of the at bat, Jeffress stayed away from throwing anything but the heat, and 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 ends up uh, getting him to punch out. Then finally, on the breaking pitch down and away, and makes Puig break his bat over his knee, and it's like okay. Um, and then he walks the next guy, and then gets a double play. So he gets out of it with bases loaded, only gets the one guy he walks in three to two, no problem. He got out of it, and Council rolls him back out there for the eighth inning. Promptly gives up single. Homer, and there's your ball game. Yeah. Four to four to three. So you've got sort of the, you know, Dave Roberts out manages himself in the first game, and Craig Council lets us again. Well, all he is doing is like, you know, funneling guys. He's making all these moves, move after move after move. You'd think the next thing would be okay. You're set up now. Bring in your guy for the eighth. But because he'd burned him in so much, you know, so much of a pressure situation in the seventh. Jeffress just did not have it in the uh, in the eighth inning, and he, he quickly gives up a single, and then a first, and then a home run. That home run that he gave up to Justin Turner, I I don't think that ball's landed yet. I think that was like second deck, hmm. the homer that he gave up. So that, that was a game. Now you're thinking Brewers are going to going to LA. They're up two zero. They've won thirteen in a row, and they're, they're starting to feel like the team with the magic. I don't, and then now it's like, oh. It was like that first chink in the armor, I think, was in game one when they blew the 6-1 lead and had to just kind of cling to dear life. And the Dodgers stormed back to, you know, barely lose that 6-5. And then today to come back and win, um, I feel I do feel like uh, things have swung, swung back towards the Dodgers here. And, and overall, though, I mean, the Dodgers have the more talented roster. Right. The Dodgers 
should win this series, but you kind of felt like the Brewers had the magic and the mojo and the whatever it is that that thing that you can't describe, like that the Royals had, you know, and you're like you're watching these teams oh, going, how God. are these winning? You know, why? How is this happening? And yeah, that's what I get when I'm watching the Brewers because you know there's the part of me that wants the Brewers to win for all like for my for my wife and my friends and all the people here in Wisconsin they'll all be happy. But then there's the part of me that wants the Brewers to fail miserably because I don't want this bullpen shit to <laughs> succeed at all. I want this to die a horrible death. So I, I, I'm really torn here as far as that goes. But yeah, that's sort of my take here on the on the first two games in that series. Well, yesterday I was absolutely stunned to see the hater out there for three innings like that. Didn't, I did not understand and, that at all. Well, I, then I sort of, I guess, slept on it and realized that today was technically an, an, an early game. It, it may not have been a noon game, but it was yeah. in the afternoon. So you're talking about evening into day. I think it, it sounds like council made the, the calculation I'm not using Hater tomorrow anyway because it's a day game after a night game. I'm just going to kill him here and, and make yeah. sure I win this game and worry about tomorrow tomorrow. And I have no problem with that. Uh, but, yeah, when you come back uh, the next day and you wind up having to take whoever your ace of your bullpen is that's you know in the non-Hater category because Hater's not available, I guess would be Jeffers. And you have to pull them out in the seventh inning because that's the the pressure situation. That's the situation that you need your best reliever right then and there. And then you worry about the eighth and ninth later. And that I also, in theory, agree with. But uh, and but I didn't see it. But yeah, if you're describing a guy in the eighth inning that doesn't have it, I don't care who your next choice is back there in the bullpen. You got to get your next choice in. That's one thing that I. And this is not a new thing. This is going back from any era of baseball that I've ever watched, the things I hate uh, of one of my biggest pet peeves is a manager who can, you you can see when a guy is on the mound just completely struggling, doesn't have it. Uh, If he had it earlier, he lost it. Or if he came in and never had it, which happens. uh, And you leave him in there anyway, because you figure he's still your best option. A struggling X is still better than a fresh Y. I hate that shit. Because Fresh Y is still a major league pitcher. You have him on your roster. Why not give him a shot and see that maybe he, he can get out of this jam that your your ace guy that looks like crap obviously is not going to get out of. I hate leaving a guy in that clearly is, is in position to get beat around. So yeah. I don't know who was behind Jeffers. I don't know if it's Canable. That's a, an awful decision because he's – was so bad that he got demoted late earlier this year, but I actually assume he had already been burned. Uh, I, I assume they already used Knable because uh, no, Knable had not pitched yet. Really? Yeah, not in that, wow. not in this, not in this game. So Knable could have come out and pitched the eighth from the beginning. Um, here's the thing that I noticed, and I'm watching this game, of course, with all Brewers fans. But in the seventh inning, when Jeffress was getting out of it and he was laboring, he was working so hard. And he does get the strikeout. He walks the guy in, and then he gets the double play. Um, but you could just see – this is the way I described it, because he had come in yesterday, uh, or, the you know, yeah, game one. He came in a very similar situation. A lot of guys on base. He allowed the guys to score, but nothing got charged on him. But they're already two games into the series – and I'm just telling all these people who are Brewers fans, nothing they want to hear, but I'm like, 
the Brewers have seen everything. I mean, the, the Dodgers have seen everything this guy has. Right. You know, they they there is nothing that he can throw that these guys don't know or haven't seen or don't know that's coming. And this is what sort of happens when you burn these relievers early in these long series is they start to lose the effectiveness. You know, they don't become the weapons as the series keeps going on. Because if there's overuse, one, you're tiring the guy out. If it's a two-pitch pitcher, which, which Jeffress clearly looks to be a two-pitch pitcher, or he only trusts two of his pitches, the Dodgers either know it's coming in at this or this. That makes it pretty easy to hit. So we'll see what the day off does for them, but I will, I'll be interested to see how Jeffress is used after this. And as, as you keep ticking these weapons out of the Brewer bullpen, as these guys start to, as the Dodgers start to figure some of these guys out, Craig Council will have less and less options. And that's why this bullpenning might work to win you a game. I don't know if this bullpenning is going to work to win you a seven game series. Well, that's the uh, the decision that council has to make. If you know yeah. your team is that inferior that you're not going to win a seven game series managing yeah. traditionally, then that maybe that's when you decide to go with some crazy strategies and, and try to do something different. So it's hard. It's, it's really hard when you're the guy managing a team that's clearly inferior in talent, and now you have to sort of invent ways to win and and dream up different yeah. scenarios. Uh, but if Knable was available and he didn't go to him, that, that's one scenario I know uh, obviously means that Craig Council doesn't trust Corey Knable as far as he can throw him. That's, that no, and, and again, just because I think Craig Council's sort of in his own head on this now, he had Wade Miley in there who was uh, – he pulled him at five and two-thirds. Wade Miley had given up two hits. No runs. But he's got he's, he's, he's got to be wearing down, though. He's over six, and, he's over five innings. you got to get him. And, he's, and he had thrown maybe 75 pitches. And Wade Miley is a, a, a starter in the league, and he yanked him at five and two-thirds. Yeah. You know what? So uh, in the itchy trigger for in the playoffs is a very, that's, a, that's a very long outing. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Oh, you're you're breaking up. Said, oh yeah, it got, little, it got a little, it got a little quiet for a moment on your side. It was like with the the the, the sort of hum that I could hear because I know you're on a landline started to disappear a little bit, but you're still there. No, I'm on a cellular line. I don't. We don't even have a landline here. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I, not, I, I'm not on the I, internet. I know that much. Okay, <laughs> but I pick up a little bit more. It's hardly you can barely hear, but I hear a little more like I know you're on the show, and then that had gone away for a moment. It's like, oh, uh oh, they lose them, right? Man, you had um, broken up. I thought you had dropped. Ah, nope, still here, still here. So yeah, I'm just interested. It was just, it was interesting, you know, and being that I'm watching this as more of an observer, but I'm watching it deeply because I'm around so many people who are so into this series, and I'm watching it now just purely, you know, from a just watching it as a baseball fan and I'm, I'm just seeing these little things, you know, and, and you know, the Brewers clearly had the foot on the throat of the Dodgers. I, I think if they won today in game two, I think they probably win the series. I, you know, I, 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 that, that's moved the needle a little for me now too, because now the Dodgers, they've gotten that taste of winning. They've also put in that taste of losing back in the Dodgers. I mean, in the Brewers. Yeah, first Brewers ball done for a long while. time. They haven't lost in a couple of weeks. Yep. And then to blow it, uh, and to blow it late 
in a game that they were clearly in control of, a game they were up 3 nothing, late. Yeah, we've seen that uh, over the years. The less uh, the, the lesser team, the less talented team that has a chance to get a big win, Some a lot of times when they lose that game that they could have won, that's it. They just go to pot. So you may see a sweep in L.A. <laughs> is this, is this uh, reminiscent of the Cavs in the finals last year? Oh, my God, J.R. Finding a way to blow the game one. And then at that point, you know, everybody's like, oh, the the Cavs put up a fight. They they showed them this is going to be a series. And I was like, nope, sweet. No. (laughs) It's over. That was their chance. That was their chance. And and you kind of had that feeling. I kind of got that impression, like, this was the Brewers' chance to put these guys down. 2-0, 2-0, going home, all the momentum, and they somehow find a way to yak this one up. Um, interesting. Good series, though. Good series. And, you know, in this Boston-Houston uh, series is going on right now. A game that, as I'm looking at the box score, has more runs than hits. Hmm. So that's going to be a good series, too. I do honestly believe that the NLCS is basically just – playing to be the first loser. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, because I, I don't see either the Dodgers or the Brewers overtaking the Astros or the Red Sox, and I think you and I are both on the record from the preseason saying this was the Astros to, to repeat. That's right, and somebody so, at the bowling alley asked me who was going to win the World Series, and I said whoever wins the Houston-Boston Series. Okay. <laughs> I am on. I, yeah, that's my general. That's been my opinion for this whole uh, postseason so far. Is that the American, the four teams in the American League were better than every team in the National League, even Cleveland. Right, the Indians would do some real damage in the National League, huh? Those pitch, yeah, because again, you've got pitchers who can actually go six or seven innings, and then an actual bullpen where you only need to run those guys out there for a batter or two, and you don't need to sort of overexpose these guys. I hate to give any credit to Joe Buck, but Joe Buck did make the point, and he is correct, that overuse of the bullpen arms for the Brewers, like with Hader, he said it reminds him of what happened with that Cubs-Indians World Series where by the end of that series, Andrew Miller was just getting rocked. Mm, yeah. Throwing no. the same stuff. And, and, and so was Aroldis uh, Chapman, except they have yeah. to survive and, and come out on the <laughs> other end. <laughs> yeah, because nobody expected that Chapman would come out in the ninth inning of Game 7 throwing nothing but sliders because cause his arm was shot. It was a noodle. His arm was just a noodle. And he just, I mean, yeah, he blew the lead, but just going out there and just gutting through that ninth inning, one, two, three, the way he, I mean, sort of going to be like, because you're going to remember him more as the guy who gave up the, 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 the big jack to Rajai Davis, but I don't know if a lot of Cub fans are going to remember him. He also got the win in that game, but I don't know if a lot of people are going to remember Aroldis Chapman for going out there throwing, you know, 92-mile-an-hour sliders and getting the Indians 1-2-3 in that ninth inning on purely nothing but fumes. No, you're going to have to go back and watch to remember how that occurred because otherwise you'll think that uh, he was just dominant and and destroyed everybody in his path. And no, that certainly was not the case. 
No, he he was he was MacGyver. It was bubblegum and bailing wire out there in the ninth <laughs> inning. I mean, he had nothing left in the tank. But Joe Madden knew he was a rental player, and he treated him like one. He treated him like a used car. Just ride him until he, he breaks him. down. That's right. He treated him like a rock star in a cheap hotel room. Like, like a groupie. Yeah. Um, well, not no, no, not like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where you were headed. Okay. Many trashed the place. Right. And Chapman wasn't the same that next year. Chapman has had uh, off and on arm troubles and, and injury issues since then. I would say he hasn't been the same. No. I mean, the best thing that happened for the Yankees <laughs> for Chapman is, you know, is he didn't have to pitch an extra who knows how many innings uh, now that they've been bumped from the playoffs. Although he pitched great in that series against the Red Sox. They didn't lose because of him. No, nah, they lost because they just weren't good enough. They, they weren't the better team. No, no, they're, they're the Astros, the, the the teams that are in it right now are the four top teams. You know, it's all the top four seeds, one and two from both, um, one and two from both leagues. And so we're we're clearly getting the best. But if you're doing like a power ranking, the Dodgers and the Brewers are three, four here. Certainly. Yeah, but it was no no doubt, no doubt. They, those lineups. I mean, even even listening to the one of the guys I work with today, who's a Brewers fan, and every you know, it's like basically watching the game, and every guy who comes up for the Dodgers, he's like, man, these guys are loaded. Well, yeah, <laughs> they're really good. And it's too bad that you can't use uh, like forty man rosters for the for the playoffs in the World Series. Because organizational depth-wise, I'd be rooting even harder for the Astros because I got to see that Triple A team come down here to Memphis. Oh man, they're they're loaded. That team. <laughs> well, I mean, play with some we, of the major league teams. You know, we were talking about the sort of like the the empty cupboard that Craig Council is operating with here when his starters are Gio Gonzalez, Wade Miley, yeah. and, and Julie Chassin. Just love right? Julie Chassin. Julie. Julie Chassin, and you go to the Astros, the Astros have guys in their bullpen who would be the ace starter on the Brewers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, McCullers, bullpen guy. Uh, Brad Peacock, Peacock uh, uh, bullpen guy. I mean, these guys, these guys are starter material and good starter material. You're telling me if the Brewers come out of the National League, they're going to match up with those guys up against Verlander, Cole, Keichel, it's just Morton. It's not. It's not going to happen. No, it, it should be. Uh, the, the offense should get shut down fairly quickly. Yeah, especially and this that is why Brewers I, lineup that likes to free swing as much as they do. Oh man! And this is why I trust the Astros more than the Red Sox. Everybody's like, "Well, really, the Astros won. The Red Sox won all those games." Yeah, because uh, price. Uh, yeah, okay, uh, sales. Not the you know he he was a little shaky today. He walked a bunch of guys, but so did Verlander. But I I think that the Astros are deeper starting. I think they like their offense. I just like everything about that Astros team more. They're faster. Everything they do is just better. And they flew under the radar all year because everybody was all Sox and Yankees. Yeah, the Astros just did what they did and and showed up in the spot where they're supposed to be right now in the AL in the ALCS. No, I, and I talked about the Red Sox all year because I was so impressed with how they were winning and how much they were winning. But, no, I never forgot about the Astros. They were always yeah. right there in my mind. 
So what do you got? I think I, I got the I think I got the bed. That's been a long been a long day. Been, you know, I, I had that uh I had that long day on Wednesday because we did the show on Tuesday and I was telling you I had to do my whirlwind tour on Wednesday, you know, or I had to drive to go pick up yeah. my mom from her surgery. I have not recovered from that yet. I'm sure. That was a eight eight and a half hour day in the car. I drove over five hundred miles on Wednesday. And then followed that up, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday with basically ten to twelve hour work days. So yeah, if you're done, I no problem being done. I didn't have the travel at all that you had, but I had uh, an inactive last uh since the since our last show I had an active last three days too. One day I stayed home uh with the the about two or three hours of plumbing being done, so I had to oh, nice. uh, get get our sink fixed and a bathtub and the toilet leak in and then get all of it done at one shot. And the guy still had to come back last night to put in the new faucet, so uh, we had a lot of that. And in between that, on Thursday, I spent two hours getting a tooth dug around in by this guy, uh, the student dentist up at the uh, University of Tennessee. Uh, and I mean, when I say he was in that tooth, he was in my tooth for two solid hours and just digging and digging and getting an infection out of there and, and sealing it back up. It was a bad root canal from a place I don't even want to talk about, but I'm not going back there again. Uh, but he Ooh. repaired that, got got the infection out of there, and then put it back and sealed it back up. So that was uh, that was two hours of, of torture, basically. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a, a pain-killing shot go this deep. He went like right to the nerve and just put sent shock waves through my body when he shot me up uh, with with that painkiller, and it was the most effective sh- uh, painkilling shot that I ever got because he he told me he was going to give me the the, the 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 big pinches, the big shots in there uh, to numb it up, and then I was going to feel nothing. And I literally felt nothing after those shots for the next two hours. All, I'm looking at all the things that he's doing to me. I'm looking at every instrument that he. Uh, holds over my head before he goes and digs into my tooth, and I felt none of it. I really felt none of it. So this guy was just the the, the goods. Uh, he was way better than my actual primary dentist, who I'm never going back to again because the, the shoddy work that was done originally on this tooth. Um, but yeah, so two hours of that, uh, very very painful. Uh, that, that was Thursday. Yesterday I worked uh, and went to the gym. Today I worked and went to the gym. So yeah, that, that's been my last few days. Uh, so I'm definitely uh, ready to hit the set. Yeah, this sounds. Yeah, I, I, we won't talk too much about. It. We can go into horror. We could have a whole show about horror stories <laughs> with dentistry. But uh, we, maybe we'll save that for the Halloween show. Oh, I, I think coming I just up. Gave the, uh, I think I just gave the horror story with, with what I just told. Yeah, that's going to be coming up. So I've got an interesting, I've got something interesting coming down the road here in at the end of this month, because I'm going to be on a, I'm going to be out of town with the family on a Friday and a Saturday night. Mm. So we, I I know it's a very rare occasion. Uh, We may need to actually pull out a Thursday pick show. Ooh. I know okay. we've done it before. I know we've had shows yeah. where we've done the picks during Thursday night football, so I may need to call an audible on this one. Um, that last weekend in October, uh, me and the wife and the kids are going to be on vacation Friday and Saturday night uh, that weekend. 
Okay, well, there you go. We, we, we will be ready for all to... of that. Yeah, and we'll, I'll try to make sure we don't do a, a, a Wednesday recap that, that week <laughs> so we're not just doing, you know, back-to-back nights. Right. And that, that would be tough. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday recap at midnight, wake up at 5, go to work, come home, do yeah. the picks. Woo. Yeah. So we'll definitely, no matter, even if it's late, because I know I'm going to be working um, working a little later uh, that week on Tuesday uh, and Wednesday. But I'll, we'll try no matter, even if it's late, even if it's a 10 o'clock show, we'll try to make sure we do that show on that Tuesday. Sounds good. All right. Uh, you're the host, so you can play us out. That's right. This has been in much less detail the podcast. That was the week six picks, our breakdown of the NLCS, my crapping all over bullpenning, which I hope fails <laughs> miserably. For my co-host Ray, I am Jay. We are signing off. We're gonna we'll go back in the time machine here to the old days of the show. Have a good night.